Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. chapter 2. So turn with me there to verses 42 to 47. And if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. We're going to have it on the screen so you can follow along. But this is a church starting out. It's brand new. It's fresh. And this is the things that they did in order to follow after Jesus. And it says this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were committed to each other, committed to staying in common. Then they sold their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. Anybody that needed something, it was taken care of. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those that were being saved. Community is contagious. People see how we live, how we love each other, and they want to be a part of church. They want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the lives of other people. And I just pray what we read would be something we would model in our own lives, in our own families, in our connect groups, our dream teams. Whatever form of community you have, it would always glorify and honor Jesus Jesus every single day. And so let's believe that God's going to use us in a mighty and powerful way. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is The Space Between. And we're going to ask God to bless our time and challenge us today. And so if you can, let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's ask God to speak. Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for today. Thank you for everything you've been doing so far from the 9, the 11. We know that you're going to continue to speak here at the 1 p.m. And we just pray, God, that people would realize that they're not here by accident. There's There's no coincidences in the room today, Lord, that you yourself brought every single person here for a reason, a purpose, and a plan. I just pray that they would understand that a life with you, Jesus, is the best life. And for those of those people that don't know you, Jesus, that don't have a relationship with you, Jesus, I pray today they will make the greatest decision of their life to put their life in your hands, to be blessed by you, to be saved by you. And I just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to stay close to you in everything that we do. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Let me pray. Amen. 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 Quick question for us this afternoon. Why is Starbucks so successful? Don't tell me it's the $20 sugar water they give you. I mean, look, if Starbucks is your favorite coffee, God bless you. That's awesome. That's great. But there's got to be more, right? Like, how did Starbucks become the Starbucks that we know? And I was curious, and I read an article, and this is what I found out. That Starbucks exploded by not just offering customers a cup of coffee, but by giving them a comfortable, sophisticated environment in which they can relax. Customers felt good about themselves when they walked into a Starbucks. Starbucks was delivering more value than just coffee. They were delivering a sense of sophistication, enthusiasm about life. They were offering a place for people to meet where they can experience affiliation and they can experience belonging with each other. Starbucks changed American culture from hanging out in diners and bars to hanging out in a local Italian style coffee shop. 
Starbucks took a product that Americans were used to paying 50 cents for and were able to charge it three to four dollars per cup and the customers were willing to pay more for their coffee because they felt a greater value with each cup. So it's not just the coffee, it was the belonging, the space, the restaurants, the, where they put a Starbucks, they believed that Morris's coffee was a place where people can belong. See, Starbucks, what they learned was there was more value in creating a place of community than a cup of coffee. That if we could create a place where people feel like they can belong, they can have conversation, they don't want to leave, that's where the value of our franchise is. Now, here's the thing. That's Starbucks. That's what they think of community. What do we think of community? Like, what is our value of community as a church, as people? Do we have a high value of community? Do we really believe that community, friendships, family is important? Or do we have a low value of community? Like, I'm connected. I got some friends here and there. But, you know, it's, it's every once in a while. We don't hang out as often. It's, it's, a, it's a part of my life, but it's not that important. Here's the thing. What I believe is this is that the importance or how you view the importance of community will determine the value you put in creating community. So if you have no value of it, you have no, you have no pressure to create community or be a part of community. But if it's important to you, you will do everything you can to be in a connect group, to make it on Sunday, to be surrounded by people that will help you. How you value it, how you view it determines how you value it. And I think all of us, I think we all kind of believe community is good, right? Like, you know, it's good to be surrounded. It's good to have people in your life. It's good to be not alone. Like all those things that we talked about. But I don't know if we have the right idea of what community actually is. Like the true definition, or at least God's definition of community. I think a lot of us, we think friends are our community. We think our classmates are our community. We think our followers are our community. And I think we got to be careful because we might have the wrong idea of community and think we're actually thriving in a place called community, but we're actually, we're, we're, we're not thriving. We're not stepping into the blessing that God has for us when it comes to being surrounded by people. Let me explain. Think about society today. Technology, social media, streaming services, apps, texting, FaceTime, all that stuff. We've heard this phrase that we're more connected than ever before, right? We've all heard that, like, like social media technology has connected us, has supposedly brought us closer. But here's the thing, and this is why I think we miss out on real community, is because we think that connectivity is the same thing as community. That if I'm connected, then I have community. That the more people I know, the more community I have. That the more followers I have or the people I see on TikTok, social media, Twitter, that's my community that I'm connected to. But being connected and having community are not the same thing. And that's what's happened with technology. That's what's happening with this digital age. It's taken away human interaction. We don't interact the same. We don't talk the same. We don't hang out the same. And, and here's what I love. I love this quote by Sherry Turkle. She's an, um, she's an author, and she wrote this about technology and human interaction. Technology is seductive when what it offers meets our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are very vulnerable indeed. We are lonely, but we're fearful of intimacy. Digital connections and the social robot may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our network life allows us to hide from each other, even as we are tethered to each other. We'd rather text than talk. Right? Like, like we, we, think we're, we're, we, we think we're experiencing friendship. We think we're experiencing companionship. But the reality is, we're not. 
We're not. It's a lie that we're being told when we text, when we FaceTime, when we're, I'm not saying those are bad things. What I'm saying is when we replace it with what community actually is, you're actually alone. Because what I believe the world is made up of strong ties and weak ties. So strong ties is like, you know, compare it to a love between a parent and a child, right? A, a parent and a child, that love is, is, there's nothing like it. You sacrifice for your kids, you'll do whatever for your kids, you'll, whatever it takes, I love this child so much, whatever it takes. Then we have weak ties. Weak ties is like, you know, a relationship with your barber, with your barista, with your banker, with a classmate. You have their number, you're connected, but, but that's as far as it goes. And I really believe what's wrong with us finding real community is that we are in a world full of weak ties, all sorts of weak ties, but very small, strong ties. Very small, strong ties. And what I believe is if we were to pull out our phones right now, we would have hundreds, maybe thousands of, of weak ties that we can call, we can text, we can DM, but the question would be, would they answer? Does it even matter? Because those weak ties, we've, we've, we've made them bigger than they actually are. And we, we think we're experiencing community, but actually we have people around us that may not actually care about us like we think care about us. And it's easier to be connected to everyone and have community with absolutely no one. And here's the thing. That's not what God wants for your life. He wants you to be connected to people, godly men, godly women that are going to help you, that are going to take care of you, that are going to pray for you, provide for you, bless you. Like living life alone is not what God has for you. But I think, and I have a strong inclination that the reason we haven't stepped into that community that God has, that Acts 2 early church community, is because deep down inside, we know that stepping into those real relationships, is kind of scary. Like we have a fear of the side effects that come with being around people, right? Because people aren't perfect. And so if I go all in with this group of people, what if they hurt me? What if they betray me? What if they backstab me? What if their problems overwhelm me? What if I'm too busy and I just, I can't think of people all the time and I'm only focused on my life and so I just don't have time for people right now. Or, you know what it is? We feel like sometimes we have nothing to offer people. There's nothing good in us. We're not talented. We have no skills. And we feel like we're just, we're a burden onto people's lives. We think it's too much work. Or we feel like we won't be like the other people in our group. So we're different and we don't mesh really well. And so I don't know if I I belong to this community. I don't know if I, I, I'd rather just be by myself because by myself, I feel more comfortable. That's what happens, right? We feel more comfortable being alone, being distant. Some of us feel comfortable having shallow relationships around us. Because there's no work when it comes to being around shallow people. I got my drinky buddies and we don't talk about anything. We just talk about the game and this and that. We don't care about like, and it's like, that is not a real community. Like there should be in-depth love and care. There should be interest with each other. There's there's more than a community that's just hanging out and, and taking up space. Okay, that's not what God means when he's talking about community. And the truth is there's the ideal of community And then there's the messy reality of community and discipleship, life change, and you being transformed happens in the space between, right? Like you can't just want the idea of community and that's it. Like, oh, I love community. I love my friends. I love being around people. I'm the life of the party. I love being around social butterfly. That's good, but you ought to know it's going to take work and it's not always going to be perfect and people are going to let you down and people are going to hurt you starting with your family. But if we can get in that space between, that's where God is going to speak, grow you, transform you, get you in the right group of people. 
it's not either or, it's the space between. You need community, but the reality is also real. It's the space between. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. We are seeing the idea of community, God created community, and then the reality of, hey, we're going to do whatever it takes to stay close, to stay committed, to love each other, so people would see that Jesus is real through how we interact with each other. That is what we have here in Acts chapter 2. It's the formation of the church, but it's authentic community being modeled, and it should be something we should try to follow, right? The devoting ourselves to sound teaching, fellowship, com uh, committing to one another, being generous, sharing meals together, and more. And here's the thing. It's not just about us being blessed. It's about when we do this with each other, other people can be blessed. For example, when the world sees the church in action, they should see the true love of Jesus when we interact with each other, when we talk to each other, when we help each other. Because guess what? Then perhaps they might find themselves attracted to Jesus like we once were. Here's the thing. like Community is more powerful than you think. That if the family members that you have in your family that aren't Christian can see how you treat your kids, how you talk to your spouse, man, they're going to be like, man, I saw a change. You used to not talk like that, but you started going to that church and things are different. Your kids are on the right path. Your, your marriage is stronger. And now like, man, let me see what this Jesus is all about. Our community can be a testimony for people to be a part of what God is doing. And this is why this is so important. Because community is not optional for a Christian. It's not optional. Think we're like, well, maybe I'll join a connect group or maybe I'll be part of a community or maybe it's like, no, it is not optional. You need to be surrounded by people. Like you can't love Jesus and live a life of a loner. Like you can't love Jesus and do everything by yourself. Like you can't love Jesus and just be distant from people all the time. That's not how it works. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. Yes, he died for your salvation, but he also died so you would be part of the family of God. Like the family of God isn't perfect. It's messed up. The church isn't perfect. We got all flaws and mistakes because you're in it and because I'm in it. And we're not perfect. The imperfect people are hanging out with imperfect people will always create imperfect results. But that's the beauty of it. Is that means that everybody belongs because you're screwed up, I'm screwed up, but hey, Jesus loves us and I'm thankful that he didn't punish me, but instead he died for me and now he creates a space for us to hang out and gather together and hang and, and be there for each other, be generous towards each other. The family of God is beautiful because it's not perfect. Because if it was perfect, I couldn't be in it. That's what I love about it. And here's the thing, the beauty of when Jesus died on the cross and when we accept Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, it, the Bible says we're adopted into his family. We're adopted as sons and daughters. And he didn't do it because of your lifestyle. He didn't do it because of how cool you are, how good you are, how skillful, how much money you have, how cute you think you look. He did it because you're a sinner in need of a savior and he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And so he says, hey, come join my family. Be a part of the family of God and let's grow together. Romans 8, 15 to 17 says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. You are a part of God's family if you choose to accept Jesus. You belong in God's family. You have a seat in God's family. You're welcome to the house. You're welcome to the table. Doesn't matter what your past may look like. God wants you near him. And now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I don't know what your family like looked like, your earthly family. I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what your, your, your life growing up looked like. But I know that no matter what, God will never leave you, nor forsake you. He's the best father that we can have. He's, he's, he's with us. He's for us. 
and he wants you to be a part of his family. And so what we learn in Acts 2 is that a Christian community is marked by the way people, we treat each other and we should treat each other like Jesus. That should be the model of everything that we do. Is how would Jesus talk? How would Jesus think? How would Jesus love this person that's very difficult? How would Jesus love me? Because I'm very difficult. Like all these things come into play. And look what it says in John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you. Jesus is saying, hey, I don't have an option for you. This is a commandment. This is what I need you to do as a follower of Jesus. That you will love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. That's a big, big task. To love people as Jesus loved people. I mean, what did he do for people? He died for them. He died for people that betrayed him. He died for people that mocked him. He died for people that put him in jail. He died for people that were his enemies. He died for every single person. And guess what? We're called to do the same thing. That means we love people that don't vote like us. We love people that don't look like us. We, we love people that don't listen to the same music we listen to. We love people that are different from us because the family of God has variety and it should not look the same because that's the God that we serve. It's about originality. It's like we, the family of God is a beautiful tapestry of different cultures and people and we love each other despite of what our past, our interests, whatever it is. So you love Jesus, I love Jesus. We love each other and we love the world. And guess what? By this, people will know that you're my disciples. So what are we showing to the world when it comes to our love for each other? Are we showing that Jesus is good, that he's worth laying our lives down for, or are we fighting with each other about things that don't matter and ruining the chance for somebody we know to know who Jesus is? Like, Because I think it's easy for us to love people, but can Christians love Christians a little bit better? Because it's when Christians love other Christians, that's when the world sees us saying, oh, okay, there's something happening here. This is a special church. This is a special group of people. Man, this Jesus, I want to be a part of that. But if we are arguing on Facebook, we're arguing with each other constantly all the time, people are going to be like, man, my life is better without Jesus. Like, this Jesus, I don't know what Jesus they're serving because they're stressed all the time. They're arguing all the time. There's always the, whatever it may be. By our love for each other, they'll know we're disciples and we can lead people into Jesus. So there's four Christ-like attitudes we should apply in our lives and our communities so we can experience heaven on earth. How do we show heaven on earth? How we love each other, how we interact with each other. But here's the thing, we're also showing others the love of Jesus when we do this. So it's not just us being blessed, but it's other people being blessed as well. So the first thing that I think every community, every mindset we should have when it comes to community is there, some, there should be some sort of continuation. And what do I mean? Like for example, when you're, saved, your, your life is given to Jesus, it's not done. Like your, your life is not over. It's like, oh, I give my life to Jesus, that's it. I go back to living how I was. No, there's a continuation now. It's like I give my life to Jesus, but now there's things that I need to do to grow in my faith, to grow in my walk with Jesus, to be more mature, to be wiser, to not make the same decision I made before I knew Jesus, that there should be some sort of transformation happening, a continuation of what God started. For example, Acts 2 didn't just happen out of nowhere. Acts 1, the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus, the physical Jesus, ascends to heaven, but he leaves us the Holy Spirit. And so Peter goes up to preach, and the Holy Spirit comes like a rushing wind, and people are speaking in tongues, and people are worshiping, and it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And 3,000 people are added to the church on that day. But guess what? 
they weren't satisfied with just being saved and just knowing who Jesus is. There was a continuation of what God started. So Acts 1 started the move of the church. Acts 2 continues on the church growing in community. There's a continuation. So how do they do that? Well, it's like, hey, we, we, we're to get under the apostles' teaching and we're to get into fellowship. So they, they heard good teaching and they were under the, the, the leadership of the pastors of the church, but they got into fellowship. And here's the thing about fellowship. Fellowship doesn't mean, and that's a church you'll see all throughout scripture, it's not a word that means being together only. Because you can be surrounded by people and still be alone. That's not what it means. It means having something in common to share. So there's something they had in common. They, they had Jesus in common, but they also had transformation in common. And so they wanted to make sure that, hey, we're going to share in our knowledge. We're going to share in our love. We're going to share to make sure that we are all, because we all have Jesus in common, do everything that we can to push each other into looking more like Jesus. That's, that's the community aspect of spiritual formation. Because here's the thing. Community is more than just hanging out and having a good time. Spiritual formation happens when you're in community. Like there should be, like we all know that you are who you hang out with, right? Proximity has power. So if I hang around people that, that talk like this, I'm going to start talking like this. If I hang around people that dress like this, I'm going to start dressing like this. There's things that happen when we're close to people. But what happens if we're close to other believers? We should start looking more like Jesus. We should start talking like Jesus. And so look, listen, this is, this is how you determine whether your community is kind of like the real community that you need should do two things. Your, your godly, authentic, real community that's going to last the test of time, stand the test of time, your community exposes and it encourages. It exposes and it encourages. Was it exposed? It exposes what's actually inside of you. Right? Like, not the good stuff. <laughs> the bad stuff. The stuff that needs to get out of your system the bitterness that needs to get out of your system, the hatred that needs to get out of your system, the anger that needs to get out of your system, the rage that you keep in the back of your mind. It's, it's those things that community brings out. And guess what? Because of that, you could be healed and set free from so many things. Look at this example in Matthew 20, verse 22, 23. This is James and John and their mother. James and John were disciples of Jesus. And they're hanging out with their mom and they go up to Jesus. And look what they say. Jesus goes, what is your request? She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, on your right and the other on your left. What were they asking? They wanted power. They wanted recognition. They wanted status. They wanted title. They wanted people to see them. But Jesus answered them by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Meaning, are you ready to die on the cross? Like, do you want to do that? Or like, how, how's, how's this going to work? And I love how they answer. They go, oh, yes, they reply, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Listen, this story is an example that they, if these guys did not have community, that power, that need for acknowledgement, that need for title, that need for status would never have come out. The stuff, like, here's the thing. We all have a shadow side, church. We all have a side that we, don't, we hide from people. We hide from other people that we know if we told them, like, yo, they would call me out. They would help, they would help me get through this, but it's going to hurt. It's going to, like the shadow side is dangerous because here's the thing. We'll always be blind to it unless we step into community. Like you, like imagine you trying to counsel yourself. Like, man, I, I, I've been thinking some crazy thoughts lately. Maybe I should stop. And it's like, you're the worst person to give yourself advice. 
That's why you need somebody to say, hey, man, I've been thinking like this, or I've been, I've, been, I've been struggling with this. Hey, I've been addicted to this. Can you help me? Once it gets exposed, then it could be defeated. Like community is more than just like we get together, we have a good time. That's awesome, and that's part of it. We'll get to that. But there's got to be real, a real community. There's got to be a part of us that sometimes gets uncomfortable because we're going through things that are kind of embarrassing. We're kind of going through things that hurt, that aren't comfortable. But we have people around us that don't judge us, and they love us. They forgive us. They're for us because that's the love of Jesus. So there's got to be people around us that expose the things that we're thinking. What we're feeling like, hey, we don't curse like that no more. We don't drink like that no more. We don't do those things anymore. And hey, I'm here to help you to get you back on track to being like Jesus. Not seeing something wrong and being the friend that doesn't say anything. Because a lot of us, we don't want to expose our friends because we feel like we're a bad friend. But I would consider it's the other way around. You're a bad friend if you don't expose the things that your friend's dealing with. If you're friends. If you're not my friend, then don't tell me anything. But if you're my friend and you care about me, you love me, call me out. With grace and truth, and some of us, we got to get comfortable with those conversations, especially with our families, especially with our sons and our daughters. Forget that they live under your roof, and you got to let them know that if they make the decision that they're making, they're going to suffer many consequences. And we got to make sure that we understand that it's okay to tell something, tell somebody that it's going to hurt a little bit. It's okay. That's why you don't tell people like, "Hey, take red lights." If you take red lights, you're going to crash. It's like, yeah, do whatever you want. Go, go, do. No, it's like, that's not the community that God has called us to be. We got to be exposed to some things. Second thing is we got to be encouraged. You need a community that encourages you. The only way to get healing from relational wounds is being in relationship. Right? It's almost like an oxymoron. It's like, well, if I'm being hurt by people, why do I need people to help me? That's God's design for it. God, God chose people, chose us to be plan A for humanity's salvation, each other, we're, we're, we're it. There's no plan B. There's no one else coming. It's people and people alone. And guess what? People are going to hurt you. We said it before, imperfect people hanging out with each other, at least the imperfect results, and that's part of it. And people are going to hurt you. The church is going to hurt you. But the only way to be healed from relational wounds and people hurting you is to be with people. It's to be with people. And everything is case by case. And some things, sometimes you got to detach from some people. Like some of you literally need to, like some of you, your friends are literally killing you. Some of you have communities that aren't helping you. And the very thing you need going into next year is to cut off some people that aren't helping you be a part of the kingdom of God. And it's hard and it's not easy, but it might happen for a season. And that's okay. Because it's easier. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, our mindset is like, oh, if I don't hang out with them, they're not going to come to church. And, and I want to I bring them to Jesus. Here's the truth. It's easier to pull people down than it is to push people forward. And so you're trying your best, but in reality, you're getting pulled into that lifestyle again. So some of us need to be okay with just saying, hey, for a season, I need to step away and be connected to a community that is in common with what I'm in common with, with is Jesus and living like Jesus and honoring Jesus and getting in my word. Gotta get encouraged in that. Because you think a lot of us were like, well, I got hurt by this person. I got hurt by this leader. I got hurt by this, this, and that. So I'm never going to be trusting of people again. I'm never going to hang out with people again. What you're saying is you want to stay broken. Is that you don't want to be healed. You want to stay stuck where you're at. Instead of saying, you know what? People have let me down. But I'm thankful that God didn't give up on me when I let him down. And I have people in my life that, that I can forgive, that can, we can go through healing together that we're going to pray. We're not going to be divided. We're going to figure this thing out. 
and I'm going to be encouraged in my soul. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. And guess what? You may be healed. If we pray with another, if, we, if, we're, if we're together, community, a community that doesn't judge, that isn't just cutting people off left and right for one mistake. It's like, hey, let's, let's get together. Let me pray for you and let us be healed of our troubles. And now here's the thing, this won't be easy. It's gonna take a lot of commitment. That's why the, the second thing is we need commitment in our communities. Verse 44 said they shared things in common. They, they, were, they were committed to each other. Like, hey, we're gonna make sure that we stay close to Jesus. And haven't you noticed we live in a world that's full of options? Like you gotta make 15 life choices before you get your burrito at Chipotle. Like you gotta think of like, it's like there's too many options. Like I don't, it used to be steak and chicken. Now it's four times as steak and they're all expensive. I'm gonna get chicken, whatever. It's me just venting, but there's options everywhere. Like if you were going to a gas station trying to get a snack, it takes, for me personally, it takes me five years. It's like, maybe I'm feeling a Snickers, but maybe I'm feeling chips, but maybe I'm feeling, I don't know. And it's like, there's options everywhere. And when there's too many options, we commit to nothing. It's like, what do we commit to? It's like, I'm trying to choose. Is this the right connect group? Is this the right spouse? Is this the right girlfriend or boyfriend? Maybe there's a better one out there. Maybe I should try that one, that one. And we have options and we never commit to anything. So what do we do? We keep things at arm's length. We just kind of just go through life and whoever, whatever fits our preference or our season and we never commit to anything. And reality is you can't have real community unless you are committed to it. Like if you want to, like if you want to have friends that you grow old with, it's going to take commitment. If you're going to have friends and their family, you're going to see them raise up their family. They're going to see your family get raised up. They're going to be loving your kids and being supporting your kids. It's going to take commitment because troubles will come. Turmoil will come. But if we can make sure we are together doing things for Jesus because people are watching how we live our lives and our lives and our communities, a testimony towards Jesus, then we'll put away our differences to make sure that Jesus is glorified. I mean, have you ever thought about the community of Jesus? Have you ever thought about who he picked to hang out with? If you forgot, I'll tell you right now. It says this in Matthew 10, verse 2. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter. Peter literally chopped someone's ear off to stop from Jesus being crucified. Like, again, on paper is a great thing, but it's like, yo, Peter, chill. I got to go on the cross where nobody's going to get their sins forgiven, okay? Calm down, bro. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, the sons of thunder. They didn't get that nickname because it was cool. They got that nickname because wherever they go, there was trouble all the time. They were rowdy. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. Matthew, the tax collector, he, Matthew worked for the IRS and then taxes people that, like, tax him even more money than they need to be taxed. It's like, why is this guy hanging out with us? James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. Zealot, like, another word for zealot is maniac. Like, we have a maniac in our group. And then the best is, is the last guy, Judas, who betrayed them. This is who Jesus hung out with. Were they perfect? No. Do you think they had arguments? Sure. Do you think there was disputes? Sure. Do you think it was always lovey-dovey? Probably not. But here's what they knew. That they were following somebody worth dying for. And that what they were going through had to be fixed because their problems were not important, more important than the mission at hand, which is Jesus and his salvation for all humanity. Like, we have to learn how to put our selfish agendas away for a little bit and make sure we can forgive a brother and we can forgive a sister. And we're saying, hey, our, our division 
is holding Babel back from knowing who Jesus is. So we got to be unified because the vision is antichrist. And unity is what God wants for every single one of us. And so we got to make sure that we don't put our our drama, our issues, and put it in the way of the mission ahead. We figure it out because of who Jesus is and the mission at hand. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be tough, but we got to be committed to it. Third thing is they cared for each other. What they do? They, they, they literally sold off their possessions. They gave to those that were in need. When needs, is, when needs arose, the church stepped up and made sure people were taken care of. And here's the thing, as we go on this mission towards Jesus, it's not always going to be easy. You're going to have struggles. I'm going to have struggles. There's going to be distress. There's going to be personal hardships. But thank God when I'm struggling, I have people to my left and to my right that are ready to help me, to encourage me, to lift me up. Like, like, do you need diapers? Do you need groceries? How can we pray for your family? How can we go visit your family in the hospital? We take care of each other. That's what the church, we take care of each other the, better than the world takes care of the world. If you don't believe me, look how awesome the church is. Look how awesome the community of God is when it comes to being generous. This is how it should be every single time. There was a Barna study. Barna is a group of, of Christian data collectors, and look what they found out. Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion. Christians also outgave more than the U.S. government in addressing global poverty. So it's like, listen, I'm all for politics, but politics can't save nobody. But the church can give more than the government, can love better than the government. Our community makes more of a difference than any politician. I don't care who you vote for. It's always going to be about the church and Jesus and Jesus alone. Like, the church is always going to be the answer. We need the church. We need each other. We need community. If we expect other people to save this world, we're in delusion. That's not God's plan to save humanity. God's plan to save humanity is through the church of Jesus Christ, through all of us living this thing out. The ugly parts, the good parts, every single day, we're committed to each other. That's what Heart for the House is all about. It's one time a year. Hard for the house. We're asking everybody to stretch. Me and my wife, we're going to stretch. Like, no, we stretch every year because we know that it makes a difference. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've been a part of it with our own eyes. Our own lives have been affected by the generosity of other people from this church. Walked into this place as a 17-year-old boy, no confidence, low self-esteem, angry, upset at the world, felt like I had no direction in my life, but there was godly men that, that went out of their way to encourage me, to love on me, to give me hope. Because of the generosity of my parents, I was able to go to youth camp. I was saved at youth camp. I was able to go to different conferences, youth and young adult conferences that I didn't have to pay for because I didn't have the money. And so people were saying, hey, we got you. We invest in your life. We believe in your life. And that's what Heart for the House is. But here's the thing. You know what I believe? I believe that the reason Heart for the House kind of scares us, Heart for the House isn't really that important to us, is because we don't know the face behind the dollar amount. Because if you go to a city care event and you hand a child a book bag, then I bet you you would be generous like no other. Because you see the tears in their eyes, a smile on their faces because of your dollar. They have a book bag. They have some turkey dinners. They have Thanksgiving dinners. We take care of people. Yeah, sure, we're asking for money, but it's not, it's not only about that. Because here's the thing. You can pray all you want, but toys cost money. <laughs> Like, I'm not going to go to Toys R Us like, God, I pray. God, you would just 
provide for these kids. Like, I just, I don't know, some way, somehow. It's like, no, get your wallet out, pay for the toys, and let's go. Like, God, if you could do it, I don't know how. It's like, bro, come on, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let's not make giving and the heart for the house a thing that we need to be awkward to talk about. We all have been blessed by it, whether we believe it or not. And if you haven't, just wait. Just wait. Heart for the house is beautiful. It's a, I believe it's going to be monumental in our church. So I pray for you and your family. Really believe and really say, hey, we're going to go all out. And we're going to believe that what God, what, what we provide with the help of God, is going to bless our church, our city, and the world at large. Like never, like things that we can't even imagine what happened. We care for people. Fourth and final thing is there's closeness. They broke bread in each other's homes and they enjoyed food with gladness. Are you thankful that church or the, the religion of Christianity, like eating food is a blessing? Like there's power in a meal. Like think about the power of a table. You think of a table and the table is an inanimate object. It has no power. It's in our, we see it. We pass by it before we go to work every single day and we think nothing of it. But here's the, the history of the church is around the table. For hundreds of years, there's been people People met Jesus around a table. The gospel spread from one table to the next table, from one home to another home, all over a meal. A meal can change somebody's life. Because here's the thing, we're all for inviting people to church. But have you tried inviting people to your home? Hey, come to my house. We're going to eat. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to share in a meal. We're going to put our phones away. Bring your kids. We're going to hang out and share. Like, there's power in getting around a table, having good conversation, laughing. Like, when was the last time you were on a bunch of people where you died laughing? Like, that's, the, that's what Jesus wants for our lives, to be so close that we can laugh and play games because that is a blessing and that is something that God wants for all of us. That we would share a meal, we would share laughter, stories, whatever it may be, because when we're close, we're close to God. So I believe that as a community, there's things that we got to do. We got to change. We got to look around, make decisions, and really believe that what we do with each other will affect people seeing the family of God or being in the family of God or not. So I pray as a church, we would always live this thing out called community. It's not perfect. It's not easy, but it's worth it because it's not about us. Even though we are blessed, it's making sure other people know that they belong in this family. Like you once did when you felt like you didn't, God said, no, you belong in this family. Join that connect group, join that dream team and look at your life now. Somebody's story is waiting to be written by your invitation, by the way you do community. I believe that this church, Calvary, is going to make a difference like never before. And it starts with all of us. Why don't we stand up to our feet? We'll wrap up service. Pray for one group of people. Maybe you're here today. You don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Um, you don't consider yourself a part of the family of God. Maybe you feel far from God. You feel like you don't belong. You feel like you're too messed up. You feel like you don't have it all together. You feel like you have no purpose. You feel like you have no reason for living. And so you've isolated yourself or maybe you have friends, but you feel alone. Maybe you have family, but you don't feel like they're family and you're just searching and you're looking. Can I tell you that the family of God is open to you? And, and this is the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, he became that bridge so you can be with God and you can enter that family. You can be adopted into his family. See, what we're celebrating in Christmas is that Jesus was born on this planet and he was born because his plan to, to save humanity was him being born as a baby and growing up as a man and, and to one day go on that cross Jesus was fully human but he was also fully God he was perfect 
He didn't make mistakes. He did nothing wrong. And yet he chose to humble himself to the level of a human being for you and for me. So Jesus, born in a manger, in a smelly manger with horses and pigs where, where they eat. Like the story of Christmas is beautiful. Jesus, the King of Kings, born in such a lowly place. Grows up to be a boy, then a teenager, and grows up to be a man. And as a man, his ministry starts. And he teaches people, he heals people, he delivers people, counsels people. He does amazing things while on earth. But ultimately, his goal was to go on that cross. That was the plan to save humanity. I said, I gotta die. I gotta die for, for the people that I love. Because here's the thing, if Jesus didn't die on that cross, we were gonna end up on that cross. Maybe not literally, but our life endedly, but we would eventually end up being death and death of our souls, death of our dreams, death of our life, everything. But Jesus says, no, I'm gonna take their place. I'm gonna take the weight of sin that is on their life and I'm gonna put it on my life so they can live free of their sins, so they can be in the family of God, they can have forgiveness, they can feel freedom for the very first time. So Jesus, he gets arrested, he's falsely accused, falsely tried, but it's part of the plan, he's gotta do it. He's put on that cross, he's humiliated, he's abandoned, made fun of all these things, hands nailed, feet nailed on that cross, a crown of thorns put on his head to mock Jesus. On that cross, Jesus dies, dies a brutal death. They get the body of Jesus, they put it in a tomb for three days, it looked like Jesus was a liar. But on that third day, the Bible tells us that they couldn't find the body of Jesus. Why? Because he did the impossible. He defeated sin, he defeated death, and now, why we worship and why we do what we do is because if we give our lives to Jesus, we defeat sin, we defeat death, and it no longer has power over us. And here's the thing. We're saying, Phil, well, I can do it by being a good person. You can't. Well, Phil, let me, let me give to charity. Then I can give my life and I can be a good... No, that isn't how it works. The power of sin can only be defeated by the sacrifice of Jesus. Doesn't matter how good of a person you are, you're still a sinner. Doesn't matter how great your family is, you're a sinner. Doesn't matter how much money you make, you're still a sinner. Doesn't matter how nice your house is, you're still a sinner in need of a savior. And Jesus paid the price. It's free, it's a free gift of grace. That's, that's, that's why the gospel is called the good news. We don't have to do anything except surrender and believe and put our trust in Jesus. And the Bible says when we do that, we're gonna be saved. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, for a moment of privacy, just so people can really be led in this moment you're in this place and you've never accepted Jesus but you're saying Phil that's me I, I want to be in the family of God I want to change my life I want to have forgiveness of my sins I don't want to keep living the way I've been living I need new people around me I need new friends around me I need mentors I need godly men and women to help me make decisions better decisions with my life that's awesome but you first got to give your life to Jesus here's the thing don't wait for next month don't wait for next year the Bible says that tomorrow is promised for no man. Today is the day of your salvation. Today your life will be forever changed, the best decision of your entire life. So with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask you if you wanna give your life to Jesus, you wanna surrender your life to Jesus, on the count of two, you lift up your hands. I'm not gonna put a mic in your face, I'm not gonna embarrass you. One, two, three, you lift up your hands if you wanna give your life to Jesus. God bless you, God bless you, awesome. God bless you, amazing. You put your hands down. Amazing, we're gonna celebrate you in a moment. I really believe it's the greatest decision of your entire life, but I want to solidify this moment. I'm going to ask you now to pray to Jesus. I'm going to lead you in this prayer. We're going to back you up as a church, but this is you talking to Jesus. This is you saying you're all in, no turning back, that you're going to follow Jesus now all the days of your life. Church, we say this every single Sunday. Let's pray this out with them. Lord Jesus, 
I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I love you and I thank you. And everybody said, come on, let's put our hands together. Come on, let's make some noise. Celebrate every single person that raised their hand. Really believe it's the best decision you can make. And uh, we want to make this day special for you. One you'll never forget. And we have a gift for you. If you raise your hand right after service, right outside, we got a connect tent with amazing dream team members. They want to get you this gift in your hands. It's an awesome gift. You got a coffee voucher. You got a notebook. You got a pen, a, a bunch of awesome stuff. But there's also resources for you to get closer in your walk with Jesus. And it's all free, no charge. And that's because of your generosity. Because of your generosity, we can give out gifts for free every single Sunday to new believers. So thank you, church for your generosity and uh, if you raise your hand this is for you go grab one go get some lunch and be blessed in Jesus name hey for the rest of us I pray that our communities would be a blessing in our lives if we need to make decisions we got to do things to get the right community I pray that before the year ends we make it happen use this Christmas time to allow your community your family to be a light to other people so they can enter into the family of God and so I'm believing that the church Calvary is going to be full of families and communities that love him like no other and um, the best days are ahead but I'm going to pray for your week and then we're going to leave here worshiping one more time Lord Jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for the communities of our church the families the marriages of our church we pray that you would bless them, refresh them, and uh, you would help us to love each other so that they may know, people will know that you are awesome and you are mighty. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. So let me pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Let's sing this out one more time.